Travolting presents The Fraser's Edge. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering The Scout. With special guest, Ange Gardner. Hi, Jeff. Nemo! I have to find Nemo! That is not even where close to Albert Brooks's <laughs> voice. <laughs> really try. What? It's <clears throat> it's Nemo. Okay, that's actually pretty good. I need to find my son. It's 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 kind of close. It is kind of close. Well, I've already learned something new. I did not know Albert Brooks voiced Marlin. Fun fact. Yeah, Albert Brooks is my father. L- oh, okay. <laughs> not Brent, actually, but Brendan Fraser is mine. No, Brenna Fraser's Diane like Weist cool... is mine. Diane Weist wasted in this movie. Yeah. Absolutely wasted. Truly wasted. Yeah. Well, hello, folks. Hello. Thank you for another episode, coming yeah. to another episode of Travolting the Fraser's Edge, where we are going to talk about 1984's film, The Scout. Thank you for suffering through our episode on In the Army Now last week. Oof. <laughs> that 20-minute behemoth. That movie. If you haven't finished listening to it all... But at this point, I, I don't blame you. It's a really long episode. It's a whole whopping 20 minutes. No, it's longer than that. In the Army now, it's like it's like an hour. Isn't it? I think it's like 30 minutes. No, it's, it's, it's like 40 at minimum. Uh, we'll see. Okay. We'll it, see. It come, you, you edit this. Okay, anyway, whatever. I do edit this. Yeah. All right, covering the scout. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, we're joined by, uh, in her third appearance, one step closer to the five-timers club, Ange Gardner joining us uh, from Bolt and Gotti. Can't believe you guys asked me back. Honestly, who is it? You were you were my dad's club. favorite guest on the show. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he said you should have her on more. Wow, um, it's a shame my my schedule is so busy. Mr. I'm really Sweeney. booked up. Wow. He said you were smart, knew what you were talking about, and had an interesting insight. Wow. Well, no pressure on this Did one, right? Did he agree about the dog should die bit? I was really I hoping we know. wouldn't say, we would not talk about that, that on the this dog, episode. Like, but no, the, the dog should not have died. <laughs> how, about, have died. how about we talk about the baseball movie that we yes, have before? The Scout. We're not here to relitigate Bolt. Sorry. Like, you're, you're right. We should not talk about a, a movie where a dog should have died. Instead, we should talk about a guy with PTSD trauma who thinks he's going to murder his father. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, the, that's what we should talk about right now. Yes. I I think this movie really suffered from the chronic syndrome of this script has been passed around one too many times. Yes, this this movie doesn't know what it is. Yeah. That's the inherent problem. Which is a shame because it would have been a really good, it would have been a very good baseball movie. Yes. And there's barely any baseball in it. I know. That's a real shame. There's literally one game in this movie and it's the final, or two if you count the opening, uh, like Steve Nebraska appearance. And you notice that there really is no stakes involved in terms of the baseball conflict. Yeah. Because he's great. Like he's like the perfect, he's he's the perfect player. There's no other anti-perfect player. There's no Owen Arkansas that he faces against. who's equally (laughs) just as good. (laughs) And it's a battle to the death. No, He's just a good baseball player. They should have had yeah. Michael Rappaport come back Honestly. from the opening. He should have come back and been like, "Hey, I'm a fucking. I don't know how to play baseball now. Here I go. I'm throwing a throwing a pitch or something." Holy shit, man! I, He's not there's this fucking cat in my backyard. <laughs> I definitely thought I'd already seen this movie because I recently saw Adam Sandler's Hustle, which is set up the exact same way. A disgraced scout finds a really talented mm. uh, player, in that in this case, basketball player in a spanish-speaking country and brings him in and it's like 
It's too much of a switch, and he isn't able to keep up until he is. I heard Hustle's very good. Hustle was better than this, but I did not think it was fantastic. But also, I think it was at a disadvantage because baseball is the perfect sport to make a movie about, and basketball is not. But they did the same thing where they brought in a bunch of famous basketball players and a bunch of famous um, owners of teams. Like There was a lot of money in that. Disrespect to Airbud. Basketball can't be made a good movie. I'm not the saying basketball fuck? can't be made a good movie. It's I'm harder. saying baseball is the best sport to make movies about. Yeah, the, when you when the, in like the pantheon of great sports movies, it is like disproportionately baseball. Explain this to me, guys. Watch this. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna Google I gotta be honest. Great sports movies. Well, Watch I this. hear you, but I really want I want someone to explain that part to me because could I? Yeah, my my, my predecessing thought is. I think baseball is a boring sport. There, I said it. Get the I think fuck baseball out of here. Get it the is. Fuck out of here. It is a it's boring the only good sport. sport it's to the watch only in good real sport. time. It's a boring sport to watch in real time, but yes. it is. It truly benefits from being cinematically told because you're. You can cut be around with, all boring bits. Are, do you, am I talking? Yes. Okay. There's no padding, so you can see the players' faces. There's really distinct parts of the team. And it is slow so that you can have the emotional buildup and is also very much, um, it's not so much about timing, it is about the action you do. Like it's Mm. not about making the shot, you know, and under a certain amount of time, you're never gonna run out of time. It's about being incredibly skilled in the sport. I wanna make it very clear, I'm not saying that like, baseball is a better sport than say, football, hockey, basketball. I think those take a very same, although different skill set, same amount of skill. I think it benefits from being shown in a movie because you can be so in it and in it without any separation, right? You're seeing the action very closely and very clearly because in football or in hockey, right? There's this huge scuffle. There's no way to tell what's happening. Even when you're in it, Mm -hmm. there's no way to record it safely. And there's all that padding. You're not seeing the players' faces or their actions because it is, it is purposely so hidden to keep them safe. Hmm. But in baseball, it's so spread out so you can really get into what's happening. Interesting. So it's a lot of the blocking air mm-hmm. element. It is of a it. perfectly blocked stage. Think about like a, like a Shakespeare stage used to be tilted so that you could see on the flat. Like there is so much space yeah out on the field where you can see different people doing different things i guess it makes sense in the in the way of like imagine being like among a crew member of a baseball movie. Yeah. it's like all right we're gonna do a blocking rehearsal uh left field center field <laughs> right field first base shortstop is, third base catcher it's actually pitch. i, I n- i've never thought about baseball like that before and that it is inherently blocked very well mm-hmm. for filmmaking and it stays in the same place right you yeah. have all of this space but the bases aren't moving and it's not like you're going to really change up which angle you're looking at because you're always going to be from home plate, roughly. Yeah, and I guess that makes a lot of sense in terms of when you mention football and that it is like it's got both disadvantages to it where it's like it's such a scuffle, so it's really hard to film. And they are wearing like 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 face masks, so it's really hard to like catch any of the drama bits of it. I See, that's why like one of my favorite sports movies is, I mean... I I don't know. I'm not really huge into sports movies, but I think like I have like a small select few 
but I feel like Coach Carter is one of my favorite ones. Mm. What the fuck is Coach Carter? I, I'm gonna be honest, I've never heard of that. Sam L. Jackson. Uh, oh, oh, you're on you're on first name basis with Samuel Sam. L. Jackson. Sam L. Samuel. Oh, you know L. Jackson. you know me and Sam. Yeah. It's Sam Jackson uh, or Samuel L. Jackson. You cannot combine the two. And he here's Sam Jackson right now. To and tell he us. and he takes over as a coach for a high school in a, a impoverished neighborhood. And it's sort of like it, it's a story told like a million times of like a coach who's trying to like create a really good team, but also help the players in their personal lives, all that kind of stuff. But but I thought it was it was, you know, in terms of how the games are shot, it's done very well. And I feel like with basketball, because you mentioned this too, and where it has the added time element to it, mm -hmm. where everything is so like fast paced and you have like the that like timer countdown element that adds the little suspense drama. That's why I feel like base time wa baseball watching it in real time in my opinion is a boring sport like i'd almost rather watch golf in that regard because at least that's like relaxing in some sense but with baseball watching in real time it's like you're watching the same thing literally the same thing because especially in major league it's going to be the same thing they're either going to hit a strike or they're going to hit the ball and dude's going to catch it do that three times, swap, same deal and at the end of nine innings you get like one to zero and that's as it. A, as a big baseball fan i do have to yeah. say that's pretty reductive i understand what you're saying but i do just want to note, as a big baseball fan baseball is the only sport i enjoy watching yeah no i love way. going to a live yeah. baseball no game way. i don't under i don't understand football um basketball is just a little too chaotic i like watching baseball nah i mean i understand i, I know it's a very popular sport but it's yeah. america's pastime i mean what I've recently really gotten into as a baseball fan, I've grown up a baseball fan. My dad played baseball. I was a big Nats fan when I was in D.C. I live near Wrigley Field for a reason. Um, I always enjoyed baseball as a sporting event. And then recently I've really gotten into the story and history of baseball, which is why I was really excited to talk about this movie. Because this is based very loosely on a real person. Very loosely, but yes. Yeah. yeah, but I also, I don't think this story was, I think it was happening around the same time that I don't know when Dave Steeb was playing but this story reminded me a lot about his experience. I want to say with the Cardinals. I'm going to lose all of these names. Can you look up Dave Steed for me? Dave Speed? Uh, S. Dave Steed. S-T-E-I-D, oh, I want to say. I he was a pitcher and a very good Steve, pitcher. Yeah, yeah who was um, arrogant and kind of an oddball and um, had this quest to pitch a perfect game, which is what... Uh, Nebraska does at the end of this movie and he keeps not being able to do it because he relies too much on his slider it's a really interesting story about him overcoming his reputation and also kind of reconciling you know practicing you know he he pitched so often and so hard his bones shattered and reformed Fuck. like he had bone chips floating around because of how consistently he pitched all the time I don't know. I think there's a lot of really interesting stories in baseball. That's a much in more interesting story than 1994's The Scout. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a very common story, I think, which is you're a great... I feel like this is really just hiding the troubled artist trope. I had a film teacher who said, you never want to watch a film made by artists about artists. It's just going to be very, like, reflective and, mm, you know, yeah. the artist is right and everybody else is wrong. of some kind. Yeah, it's, it's like Birdman, where there's like a, a 15 minute segment where it's just Edward Norton talking about critics are bad and don't understand his work. Yeah, it's dangerous it, as a writer to write about writers, and I think hiding it in sports 
is sometimes an effective way yeah. to do it where it's like oh he's so good but he's tortured and yeah. he's like just if he gets out of that torture he won't be a good baseball player anymore it's like it's not about it's not about artists it's about sports all the dudes will come out and see my movie yeah, exactly. The dudes did not come out to see his movie. No, I, I saw that. It did not do well at all. Mm. And it's actually very interesting. I was uh, I was wondering why you were why you picked this movie mm-hmm. and knowing you have all this like baseball history and knowledge of it, um, makes me excited to talk about this. Yeah. Because I mean, I mean we've already talked I mean, you already like blew my mind with the blocking thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's actually really smart. That's why baseball works. Yeah. I, I mean it would have made this movie much more interesting. This movie was it, was remotely will, about baseball, right? Which <laughs> it's not really about baseball yeah. at all. Which can also be fine. Yeah, a movie that's like surface level as like a sports movie, but in like seventy five percent of its content content yeah. isn't a sports. Yeah, movie. Yeah, well, that's what the Green Mile is, right? Exactly. With Sandra Bullock, that is not about football. Right, that is about a relationship and yeah. a family. Like the Green Mile, or is the... it the Green Mile? I'm sorry. That's the execution one. Oh shit! No, no, no! Wait, That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. <laughs> the blind side. The blind side. <laughs> ready, the green one is the one where it's like, I'm ready to go to sleep now. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I'm sorry. God. I was thinking Tom of the Hanks. movie poster, and that's, it was the movie poster is like yeah. green. Oh shoot! That's Tom Hanks getting killed with his UTI. What? By oh yeah, when Michael Duncan like grabs him by his crotch, and they have that whole scene where yeah. he like heals him, and then okay, he's able yeah. to pee. And Tom Hanks does the uh, performance of a fucking lifetime <laughs> when he covert pees like for the first time in three days. So as I was saying about the Blind Side, it's so amazing. As we're talking about sports movies. I just didn't want to hear about Tom Hanks peeing anymore. Just, just for. Green Mile, Tom Hanks, UTI cure scene, Wetty Peas. I mean, we'll, we'll, be, still, we'll plenty of time to talk about with our next show, Hanking It. <laughs> <laughs> he he hanks it in that scene. Okay, but the blind side. Well, I just feel like when I watch The Scout, and I, I'll be honest, I'm really rough with secondhand embarrassment movies. Watching movies where someone doesn't, um, they're not following the social norms yeah. or something like that. Like when he stands up and he starts singing. Yeah. I did not watch that scene. I was like, oh, I kind of I kind of feel like I know what's going to happen. I just did the, the the YouTube 10 second, 10 second, 10 second to make sure I didn't miss any like big explosions. But mm. that makes me very physically uncomfortable. Yeah. But I did think it was really interesting. This kind of idea of someone who's so disconnected by blocking their past that they can't engage properly in the present. I think I would have liked mm. a little bit more respect paid to that. I felt like it was played a lot for laughs and it was like we just got to get him over it so we can play baseball except maybe not because then he won't be a good baseball player anymore and i'm like and then it turns out no he'll still be a good baseball player like it just feels like there were no stakes at all in this movie but i also feel like so much was happening in the therapist's office that we weren't seeing that was a really interesting choice to not have us as the audience engage in that at all I think they really wanted us to be seeing it from like Percolo's perspective, but I didn't like Percolo. I didn't want to see it from his perspective. I didn't, I like, and, I did not like yeah. him very much. And we very quickly don't like him. And that's, and it's just kind of like until we get to Brendan Fraser, we're sort of stuck with this character for a while. And so that was the thing is when he's in like Mexico looking for like a player to scout. I will say, I thought that was the strongest part of the movie. That kind of idea of somebody going through as a punishment to, all of these different kinds of games. Mm-hmm. But I would have liked those themes to then be introduced yeah. where it's like, now we have balloons in the stadium and maybe we do like a, a Savannah bananas thing where they have goats on the field. Like I would have enjoyed if we learned more lessons, except mm. for like 
these these Mexicans don't know how to yeah. play baseball. It's like that. Yeah, that seems a little racist. It, it, it it's only racist, I think, because then we don't we don't take any lessons yeah. from it. It's just like, oh, there's a white man here who can play baseball. It's like, well, what if we started serving cool food, right? Yeah. You can you can actually push what's happening here, and that is something that we're, is today. I don't know. Do you guys know the Savannah Bananas? No. Mm -mm. It's a baseball team. So baseball's dying. Baseball is a dying sport. People are not going to see baseball the way they used to. And the Savannah Bananas saw this and said, well, what if we make it audience aimed? It's not about being a good team. It's about the audience having a good time, almost like a show instead of a game. Sort of like the Golden Globetrotters, whatever. The Harlem Globetrotters. The Harlem Globetrotters. The Golden Globetrotters. The Golden Globetrotters. <laughs> you yes. know what I was talking about? Yes, I do. And yeah. yes, it's very similar. There's a lot of... Um, big theme nights there's a lot of performances like the players on the team are good baseball players but they're also actors in the mm. same way um the tickets are cheap and when you buy your ticket it includes food in it and they um like i saw an interesting video recently about the math they're making i think two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a game because you cannot get tickets it is selling out constantly Incredible. and it's mm. only because like the only reason it's selling out is that they're not taking themselves seriously Mm. And that's what I saw when I was watching this, these games in Mexico where it's like he's leaving to take a phone call. It's like they've got the band there. It's kind of fun. It's interesting. People are mm. kind of, you know, I always thought about like monster trucks. It seemed like people were treating kind of yeah. like a monster truck thing. And I was like, cool, we're going to have a movie about not taking yourself seriously and like the Yankees learning something from this yeah. new player. And we did not get any of that. Mm. Yeah. I felt like this movie did a good job of surprising me, but I was not pleasantly yeah. surprised. This movie, every time I thought I understood what this movie was going to be about, it would change. Yeah. And I do have to, and we'll, we'll get into this later. I think it pains me to say this. I think Brendan Fraser is part of the problem of this movie. I would agree. I think he was typecast. I think he um, is not, he's not playing the character either too big. He's not playing them big enough and he's not playing them small enough. Yeah. He needs to pick one lane or the other. He's trying to Goldilocks himself into the perfect like oatmeal or whatever the fuck the bears are eating. Um, but he ends up just becoming like kind of a boring character with no real point to him. Yeah. Like this movie was originally written as a ridiculous over the top comedy. And it's not. This movie also. Well, they didn't let it be right. It yeah. felt like they were taking themselves very seriously. It's like, because I think they have the real New York Yankees owner. Yeah, George Steinbrenner is in this movie. That's the problem. I think if you're going to bring in people who actually care about baseball, you have to take the movie really seriously. Kind of like Hustle really took itself seriously. It was like, this is a very serious basketball movie that Adam Sandler is making. Because he's mm. trying to put himself as a <laughs> very that, serious actor. That sentence was... <laughs> and he's succeeding, right? Uncut Gems was great. A but, great movie. Yeah, great movie. And he was great in Hustle. But you have to either do that or you have to go like a... Slapstick, kind of. I was going to say Savannah Bananas, but I've been having trouble with stuttering recently. Sorry. Of course, right before I come on the podcast. That's all good. Um, but it's either really... You're right. He's trying to play both. And it's like... I didn't like his character either. I felt like it felt like a neurotypical actor playing an autistic boy. Yeah. Didn't that, isn't that what it felt like? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I got that part too as well. Fraser feels out of his depth at this point in his career in this role. Oh yeah. I would love to hear where this falls in his kind of Arc. larger pantheon. Yeah. yeah. Cause I don't really know anything about Brendan Fraser's history. I just know yeah. right, this movie. Right now we're basically at the point where he's leading smaller movies. Yeah. And then in bigger like Hollywood movies, he's playing second fiddle to an established star. Yeah. 
Like we're coming off of the run where it's like, you know, he's in younger and younger playing second to Donald Sutherland. He's in son-in-law as a cameo. He's in with honors playing second to um, Joe Pesci. He's in this playing second to Albert Brooks. Like all these established stars are taking the lead and he's kind of like the new kid in town who's rising up as like the sidekick character. I definitely think it's really interesting for me, at least, I didn't grow up seeing Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just a little bit too young or I wasn't watching old enough movies. Because mm-hmm. they're really pitching him in this movie as like a heartthrob, right? It's like, this is the hottest man in town. But I didn't grow up seeing him that yeah. way. So it's kind of disconcerting for me to see him treated as like a Ryan Gosling on screen. Yeah. I'm like, oh, is this? Here, I think huh. I watched Stuart do the, the Matt Damon aging and before my eyes when you said I didn't watch older <laughs> movies enough. I watched Stuart actually age before my I'm, eyes. At the time of this podcast being recorded, I am 21 years old. I'm very sorry. It, it's the year 2022. <laughs> the year is 2022. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I, to be fair, like, I think I, I was still a little young too because I want to say like, Brendan Fraser's heartthrob era. That was late 80s, early 90s, I want to say, right? It was, it was like, in 2000. It, it was early 90s because up until once we get to like the mummy, I want to say it's right as the first mummy is when it there's a, a not like a decline, but it it's shifting from teenage heartthrob to action star heartthrob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would ask, I would put, po- and if that sounds confusing at all, I would ask this question to the audience. It's like, we know there's a difference between a Zac Efron from like the mid 2000s heartthrob throb and a Tom Cruise action star heartthrob. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And I feel like that's the transition Fraser makes after the post mummy. And that's why I feel like people in your generation, also our generation, we look back and it's like, oh, Brendan Fraser is like a teenage Ryan Gosling heartthrob. Like that seems a little weird. That's because in our early to mid childhood, Frazier was already kind of over that hump and turning into more like a sort of a matured wine heartthrob. Yeah. yeah. Right? I a feel matured like. wine. That's a way to say it. I mean, hey, The Mummy, Ricochet O'Connell. Because I've Mummy... said many times The Mummy is the hottest movie ever made. Well, and in The I Mummy 2, The Mummy 2, he's a dad. He's married. He His kid's like, you know, 12 years old. That's hot. And he's not. So that's not like teenage Ryan Gosling heartthrob, but he is like daddy heartthrob. Right, I'm going to whip this, this. Tell me, have you ever seen a more attractive image in your life than what I'm about to show you. And it's taking forever to load. Well, remember, my my attractive movie growing up was Pirates of the Caribbean. Have you ever seen anything more attractive than this photo? I mean... For the, I, I want to be both of them, and I want to be with both for, of them. For, for the, the listener at home, it is a picture of uh, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz in The Mummy. Academy Award n- nominee... Rachel Vice, right? Yes. And, I think winner, and no? hopefully, within the next two months, Academy, Academy Award, Award nominee, nominee Brendan, Brendan Fraser. Fraser. <laughs> We're rooting for you, buddy. The whale. It's going to be, it's going to do it for him. We're anyway. Hoping. Yeah, I definitely got a little bit of like 17 again in this movie where <laughs> yes. it's like, yes. he has a box full of women's numbers. Like they yeah. literally can't keep their hands off of him. And I, I don't look at young Brendan Fraser and feel yeah. that. I, mm-hmm. and that, that was also tough for me i felt like they were really trying to sell that when they that that wasn't important to the story at all right yeah. he's already a good baseball player he doesn't also have to be Hot. like dripping sexuality and i think those are all holdovers from like let me, i'm gonna quickly run through like the this movie um the history of this movie well and just to to cap on the whole brendan fraser history yeah. thing because yeah to tag on 
what you were saying, Jeff. Like he's leading smaller movies while playing and, second and fiddle. And he's leading smaller movies and like outrageous comedies. Yeah. Like Airheads and Encino. Because I think before this movie, I don't know if we're quite yet in like a different, we're not quite in it yet in a different era, but I'd say he's like one degree above the title working actor. Yeah. That's the word. That's the phrase. No, he's, 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 consi- he's consistently working at this. Yeah. Point. Cause there was a phrase I was using before this episode where it's like, he's sort of in the stage of just like a working actor, not like a successful actor, not like an award-winning actor, but an actor who's competent enough that casting and agents will like throw him out to jobs mm-hmm. and he'll get an audition. He'll get a callback and he'll get a few roles. Whereas I feel like he, we're starting to see a little bit of a difference here with I feel like this movie with honors, yeah, younger and younger, even though that's really weird movie to throw out there in the yeah. mix. But yeah, where he's like almost now he's going from the working actor stage to like, oh, he's the new guy who's gonna take up some yeah. of the old mantles of other white men. So yes, yeah, new kid in town is a good way. The, to the say. new kid in town era. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically where we're at with Fraser at this point in his career. Um. And you know this this movie does it, it comes out. Um, in regards to the production of this movie, I do want to quickly run through. Ange, I believe you also read some, got some backstory on this movie. Oh, you know I'm on that Wikipedia page. You mm-hmm. know I'm reading the IMDb trivia section. Oh hell yeah! It is a fairly light trivia for this movie. Yeah. Well, all uh, of the goofs were in the baseball scenes, which yeah. I also was kind of disappointed by. I'm like, really? We couldn't like the the sound of a wooden bat is the the metal bat, and I'm sorry. He's using a wooden bat, and it sounds like a metal bat. And mm-hmm. to me, I'm like, who who directed this movie? Because I feel like Michael they might have been. Michael Who? What uh, has he done? Michael Ritchie is the director of Fletch, um, which is a good movie. If anyone's ever, never seen Fletch, you never should go home and it. watch it. <laughs> Why do I feel like it's a movie about like farting? No, it's uh, it's based on a you know a noir book comedy book series about a guy named Fletch. There's a new one that just came out called Confess Fletch with John Hamm that I hear is very good. But it's uh, it's Chevy Chase. Is that where... his biggest movie that he did, Fletch? I did not feel like this was well directed. Yeah, he is he, he had done The Candidate with Robert Redford. Um he The Bad News Bears. I'm going through like what are his he did a lot of movies. I'm trying to find the like big ones. Well, Fletch, you can, you the can Golden do a lot Child, of movies and Fletch still not lives. be a good director. He directed or he Wrote the story to Cool Runnings. I was about to say he directed Cool Runnings, but he did not. That was Turtle Tob, our old friend. That was John Turtle Tob, everyone's favorite. Um, but yeah, that's Michael Ritchie's general career. The, this movie had a long, torturous production cycle. This is it one took of the, ten years. Didn't this it? is one of those classic Hollywood like the script's just been sitting around, and every few years, someone new gets attached to it. Because like this movie was written in the early '80s, and the idea was Peter Falk would play the scout, uh, Columbo, and then Jim Belushi would play the player, mm. according to Jim himself. Um, but it just like it kept getting pushed, and like they couldn't get the funding, and then Peter Falk said no, Jim Belushi said no, and then Jim Belushi got to be old. They offered it to Rodney Dangerfield, and he said no. They were basically ready to fully abandon the movie before Albert Brooks like agreed to play the scout in it. And Brooks did his own rewrite on the movie. He's credited as a writer. Because mm. when he came in to play the role, he's like, all right, this thing's a little too crazy for me. Because it was written as like a bananas comedy. Hence yeah, why they it were... was, I saw, written super over-the-top and slapstick, yeah. and then they pulled it down. Yeah, hence why they were trying to get Rodney Dangerfield for it, because he's an over-the-top guy. 
Um, but when Brooks came on, he's like, all right, I'll do a rewrite. I'll make this a little more grounded. I'll try and find an emotional core. I feel like the humor in it goes, it's very Brooksy humor. Mm. Um, like it comes from that like Brooks Seinfeld like style of comedy, yeah. like yeah. New York New York comedy. Well, I definitely feel like this has. You guys have heard the the what what went around the writers' room at Seinfeld, which is like no hugs, no lessons. Yeah, I feel like this movie had a very no hugs, no lessons sort of deal. Like we did not learn anything, and all of a sudden yeah. the stakes just get dropped. I mean, Brooks basically he fought kind of with the the studio about this movie. Because he wanted it to kind of fit very much into that Albert Brooksy style humor, that Seinfeldy, no hugs, no makeups, no hugs, no no hugs, no lessons, no hugs, no lessons. Um, he said, Brooks said specifically, uh, he rewrote the script because it was written very silly. He said it did not, in my version, did not end like Rocky with that big bullshit ending, uh, but the studio was forced. To- <laughs> he said the studio forced him to change, the forced the director to change the ending. My God, that I'll, bullshit Rocky ending. I will say, and I think this is going to be another dog die situation. I don't want to watch things that don't end well. Mm-hmm. I, I Let me take out the double negative. I want to watch movies that end happy. Yes. So when he pitched the perfect game, I, like, I enjoyed that ending because mm-hmm. that's what I want. I want to see people pitch the perfect game. Dave Steep ended up pitching a perfect game, by the way. Good for him. If anybody's wondering about where I stand on that. Yeah. Um, but I also did recognize that him, it took forever for him to get off that roof. And the thing was like, oh, if you just don't push it, he'll do it. Like, like it's a petulant child. Yeah. Well, and to me, it's like to, to, to go back to Rocky, that movie does end happy. Rocky is the best movie ever made. Because even though he loses the match, he still wins his sort of boxing match at life. You know, and he, I feel like that could have been sort he of... He loses the match, but he sets down his goal. He goes the distance. Yeah, he goes the distance. Run, run. Yep. And yeah, he has Adrian there. And so I feel like this could have been a movie where it's like, yeah. maybe he doesn't play yeah. baseball, but he like com- recovers from his traumas yeah. or whatever. Because like, There he, are other ways to like call it a happy ending without you know, it, you know filling in all the pieces. Let me just quickly restructure the writing process of this movie. This movie's written as a bananas comedy by Andrew Bergman. They struggle for 10 years to get it made. Albert Brooks comes in and decides, all right, I'm going to take the bananas away and just make it kind of a cynical, like, um, I'm trying to think of a, like, cynical and New York style comedy. Yeah, grounded. Grounded comedy where it's, like, about a scout who just, like, gets in over his head and keeps struggling to, like put things together and gets more and more flustered as the movie goes on. Right. The comedy is in, in his version, the comedy is inherently the scout just like getting like digging a hole deeper and deeper for himself, which is very Brooksy. It's very Brooksy. Yeah. Um, and then the studio doesn't like that version. They had originally attached to a bananas comedy version, but they're like, all right, we'll give it a happy ending. We need a happy ending. for And this. some pretty big slapstick comedy. Like when he's throwing the yeah. plates out the window, that is crazy this movie's like 30 percent, 33 percent a slapstick comedy 33 percent like a cynical new york comedy and then 33 percent uh an attempt at a rocky style like uplifting sports drama those three do not work together no they are three very disparate movies i would i would say they could work together if they were integrated it felt like we were watching three disconnected movies yes which was the three characters right we have our slapstick nebraska our like gritty new york uh yeah. piccolo and then our diane weiss therapist uh dr aaron who's barely in the movie and also is i felt like there was a lot more sexism in that movie than there needed yes. to be 
we uh, i was like we do not it's not funny enough to make the joke where it's like a woman doctor from harvard in the 90s like whoa you already had you already got the racism and you already have the um like anti-trauma recovery we we don't need that as well we're good we're good. My ideal version of this movie is the Brooksy version of this movie where we keep all those bad elements in, but it's about this guy digging a hole deeper and deeper for himself and he ends the movie in jail. That's where my ideal version of this movie ends is the scout is in prison because he keeps like fucking it up. That's airheads. <laughs> <laughs> kind yeah. of, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like this guy is like, he's racist at the beginning. He's sexist. He's like only in it to try and get himself fame. He keeps, like, forcing these players into situations they don't want to be in. My ideal version of this movie ends with his punishment, not him getting, like, to become a father figure. I just think if they had picked one topic to digest, right? Yeah. Talk about the stress of being a major league player when you're only used to the minors, right? Yes. Talk about the the recovery of having an abusive father and then mm. working with a manager who is not good for you, yes. right? Talk about coming from a place where baseball is different and then learning how to do baseball here and bringing new elements into an old sport. All three of those would have been great movies and your movie where he yeah. ends up in jail. It's all right. Though. And like, it's just, it's just such a strange mix. This is a, such a Frankenstein of a movie. You can, you can see all the different limbs and where they came from, I but think it doesn't work as a full creature. It would. It is fair to say this is not a good movie, but it's an excellent case study. I yes. really enjoyed watching it from a writer, director, filmmaker's yeah. perspective, which is, oh, this is wrong, but you can see yeah, you, all the stitches. You can see right? the seams. Yeah. It's like um, it's like watching. It's like or the Rogue One of sports comedies where you're watching. You're like, I can see all the seams of when they reshot this and did this. Oh, can you see that in Rogue One? Oh. There's a, there's a part in Rogue One where she has a fully different hairstyle from one shot to another, and it's incredible. Uh, I was, I mean, you can be like, oh, they reshot that scene. I was so blown away by the story, I was not paying attention. <laughs> and that, you know, that, that's how that works. Where, where uh, Forrest Whitaker has is bald in the trailer, but then has a full head of hair for the entire movie. And you're like, all right, well, okay, we reshot <laughs> all this stuff. Uh, anyway, that, where this is not the Rogue One cast. Rogue One is an interesting uh, story about how a movie got made. Yes, it is. So is this, The Scout. I feel like we've kind of contextualized this movie. Do we want to kind of dive into the plot a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I'm here. Kind of just go through like the, the beat by beat. Yeah. Hey, Stuart I'm... actually took notes for the first time in like years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of blank pages in that notebook of yours. <laughs> well, it, see, look, like you'll notice at the very top of this, it says Fraser's mm. Edge because one before this is life on the line <laughs> can you believe like the last time i took notes on this podcast was the life on the line episode yes. things have changed what is going on what is going on let what? me restructure <laughs> that was a wild episode that was a great episode i'm trying to think if there's anything i loved about the plot that we haven't I feel like we've yet. summarized roughly like the the skeleton of this i feel like we can go a little more into like <sighs> how like what happens and why we had the like i want to go through those seams that we talked about All discussing right. the seams yeah hey you got me for another hour yeah i'm gonna start charging double after that though okay so. yeah, we gotta we gotta Shit. get her out by uh 12 47 i gotta i got a florida yeah, vacuum let's see if we can get approved for more penalties uh <laughs> so <laughs> we work in movies guys <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so 
I mean, first thing I wrote down was the old violin style music intro. And yeah. I'm like, I thought we were starting at a farm in Oklahoma. Yeah, so and this, then cut to the New York. The score of this movie is done by Bill Conti, who did the Rocky movies. Yeah. Really? Yes. And so they did want it to be a Rocky movie. Yeah, that the studio very much wanted this to be a Rocky movie, That's which really none of the people involved in it w- wanted it to be. Right. Huh. Rocky works because they're trying to make Rocky. <laughs> you can't tell people, hey, make Rocky. And they're like, we don't want to make Rocky. And you're like, well, you're going to make Rocky. And then expect the movie to be good. Yeah. Uh, then we get Marlon from Finding Nemo at a motel watching King Kong. They call this King Kong bit back a few times. Yeah, th- this they, I feel like one too many. I, 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 a I like much either name the movie King Kong or actually align it with the plot of King Kong. Yeah. Well, and it's like he has to, he's going to a place he's never been to before yeah. to capture an eighth wonder of the world. Yes. Like He's okay, trying to find his wonder. Like, we get it, Michael Ritchie. Like, we get it. <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, there's all these elements that you can see working really well in a smarter movie. Yeah. Like, you can see this, like, this guy seeing himself as, I forget the guy's name in King Kong. Yeah, um, but who's like going I'm not into, gonna know, but I know who's seeking you're out about. like this who wants great who like feels like they're inadequate in life. They haven't achieved the greatness they want, and the only way they're going to achieve their own personal greatness is to go out there and find something great. That's the essential like problem. That's like the the core of that character's arc in King Kong, and they're translating that onto Albert Brooks in this movie, where he's like, "There's nothing special about this guy. What he wants to be special about him is finding something special in the world." Yeah. And, you know, Beauty Who Killed the Beast and all that shit. But then if you're going to do that, then first off, Brendan Fraser needed to have a much bigger, like, stress-induced panic attack where yeah. he has a baseball and he's just, like, swinging it at yeah. people. And also, if we're, if he's going to be a heartthrob and he's going to be King Kong, why is he not shirtless on a building? It should have been George of the Jungle Why style. is he not hanging out of a building shirtless? He literally <laughs> did climb onto the roof. Yeah, he does like, climb onto the roof. And the so, end. like, they're literally getting close to that. Like, and then, well, well, he says, he's like, I think I took this Kong thing too seriously. And it's like... Oh, okay. you, you didn't take All it right. seriously enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, lean into that a little bit more. Right. It's like you, you eventually you need a to get graphic about it. Like we need a, like a sniper to shoot him off the roof to fall yeah. on the baseball field. It's like, oh man, also, it's really sad about the sniper. And then Albert Brooks takes his hat off. It's like, twas not the snipers, twas beauty that killed the beast. <laughs> he walks off. Credits roll. Yeah. And like, yeah. Jack Black comes out. I also <laughs> feel like if we're gonna talk about the beginning of the movie, I think. It's effective, but it's a very cheap way to make us relate to the character. And it's like we come in and they're watching a movie. Yeah. Because you're watching a movie. Yes. So you guys are the same. Don't you feel like you're him? Because you're also watching. Mm-hmm. He likes old movies and you're watching a movie. Yeah. And you must like movies because you're watching movies. It. Sometimes I feel like making movies for people who want to watch movies does not invite more people to watch movies. Yes. Not that we maybe need more people to watch movies, but I do feel like when I saw that, I was like, Oh, it's going to be from his perspective, and I need to relate to him. But I'm not a white, old white man in yeah. the 90s, and I'm having trouble attaching to this guy. And this is oddly the moment, the element of the movie that I was most attached to was the beginning with Albert Brooks, where he's like, he has like a, he has, he carries a single suitcase around, and he opens up, and he has a full kitchen in there. <laughs> that was, I want that suitcase. It's a good suitcase. How, how we get our hands on that? He pulls he out like have, a. Burner. I do want to say he has two suitcases, one for clothes and one for cooking. Okay, he has two. And what he well, he has like a full kitchen in one of them, and he's like cooking whatever the hell he's eating 
in this hotel room and he's it's, watching King it's Kong. spaghetti with uh, marinara spaghetti with, okay. i also felt like totally dropped joke for him to break that out in mexico yeah he does they when never he, see it again we never see him going to a store being like i just want angel hair pasta and they're like what the fuck are you talking about and he's like pasta pasta that would have been an interesting fun yeah. callback I need pasta. <laughs> uh he finds a pitcher Played by Michael Rappaport, who's like a devout, his who's uh, from a devout Catholic family. Oh, is that family. Michael Rappaport? That Michael, is Michael Rappaport. Rappaport wow. right here. Have you guys Got ever it. seen the video of Michael Rappaport yelling at the cat? Uh, no. We'll have to watch that after. It's this. like someone just took a video of this weird cat in their backyard, and Michael Rappaport did a voiceover for it as the guy who's filming it, and he's like, "What's with this fucking cat? It's in my backyard. Oh my, ma, get the broom." <laughs> I mean, Michael Rappaport in Atypical, he's fucking great. He, you know what? He did a great job in this movie. I thought, like, he's I good. thought he was great. I thought that storyline of them. Him lying and then him getting there and it's not what he thought he I would be. I need the Lord. <laughs> what the fuck is that? A fucking cat? <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't fucking look at me like that. That's a weird looking fucking cat. <laughs> <laughs> For the listener. Yo, there's a stray cat outside. I don't want it starting a fight with Lucy. <laughs> Lucy, it's okay. It's, it's okay, Lucy. Don't worry about it. Ma! <laughs> <laughs> I love Michael Rappaport. Oh, you're never going to get done with this podcast ever. <laughs> I love Michael Rappaport. I just felt like we all had to watch that okay, together. So Michael Rappaport is a yes. freshman in college. Yes. Um, From a devout Catholic family. Yes. Which, you know how we know, understand that? Yeah. Because he walks in the house and there's a picture of Jesus on the wall. White Jesus, no less. White Jesus, no less. <laughs> I loved this scene so much because like all the other scouts are like, uh, they're not going to let this kid leave college early we, got, I, we, yeah. we don't get him until he graduates i also thought that was really confusing because they may go out of their way to show like this guy's a good scout he can identify yeah. a good player and then he can do stuff that no one else can yeah. to get him on and then he finds steve nebraska on accident yeah he's like i found kong right. right but like he get i i do like the scene of michael rapaport's house and you just kind of see how brooks is like the smooth operator when he's in there and he's like He's where he wears a cross in the house, and he's like, you know, Babe Ruth. He was very Catholic too, very religious. His sister was a nun. <laughs> no, it wasn't it. It was it was Mickey something. Oh yeah, Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. It's like, like, what was his what was his sister's name? Also Mickey. Mickey <laughs> Elizabeth Mantle. Very famous she was a nun. nun. She was a nun. Famous nun. Famous nun. Uh, but he eventually he kind of like swaths his way into like yeah. convincing the family to like let their son yeah, drop the out of college. And because he's like, there will be a tutor in the dugout with it's him. It's like baseball players, they get like tutors and they he'll just make you know, so much money. Oh, yeah. Until, you know, he'll be able to stay true to his religion. Um, and because he kind of like coerces this kid out of like his comfort zone. But that also doesn't make sense to me because he didn't coerce the kids. The kid's like, I'd love to play. Yeah. I'd kill. And then he gets there and stresses too much. Yeah. And he freaks out and he's he can't get out of the bathroom. Yeah. And it's the day of the game. And Al gets a call. He's like, what do you mean he won't come out of the bathroom? Oh no 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 no! That that's like that can't happen. That can't happen. So then he goes down. He talks to him, and we get the whole bit. Because that's he's the like, second time that's happened. The first pitcher he got, they mentioned early in the movie, is sixty-one and zero. The yeah. guy can't pitch. And then he find they need a right. new pitcher. He finds this kid. Kid's too young, can't do it. He gets in trouble. 
He yeah. finds a new pitcher who can also hit. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he meets with the the manager of the the Yankees. What, what was this guy's like connection? Because we George Steinbrenner plays himself in this movie as the manager and owner of the Yankees. Yeah. I think this I think the manager is an actor. It's like the ge- it's the general manager is the guy. Okay. Um who's played by Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly from Moneyball. Like there's a manager of the scouts. Yes. There's a manager of the guys and he reports up. And so it would be as if like Percolo doesn't report to the owner. He reports to the guy who reports to the owner. Okay. And, and that's why he's so nervous around the owner. Like they are not he is not a direct report to him. Yes. He is one under. Because the and this guy's played by uh Lane Smith, who Stuart we remember is the dad from Son in Law. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. Um Good but he's call back. Yeah. He's playing the um, the general manager, and he like the is mean manager. He's so pissed at Brooks that rather than fire him, he sends him to like. We I decided thought... to recycle your contract, but another fifty cycles. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really funny that he was like, "We're gonna send you to Mexico," and then in Mexico, he's like, "Actually, you're fired," because then they won't pay for his ticket. Back. Yeah. It was really <laughs> to abandon a him in knife Mexico. and twist. I don't think they mentioned that they won't pay for his ticket back, but yeah. that's what happens. They're paying for him to do this, and then they stop paying yeah. him, and he's stuck. It's brilliant. very good. That's a brilliant move. It's a great scheme. I'm I also start feel like we didn't people. touch on that because that is a personal vendetta that then kind of goes away. Like you yeah. did not just fire the man and give him severance. You sent him out of the country to get stuck yeah. somewhere rural, and then fire him. That is a, that's like a, that's a burn your house and kill your family kind of a guy. That is salt the ground. Yeah. But then, hey, when he brings back Steve Nebraska, it's all sunshine and But he brings back Steve Nebraska and he lets the Yankees bid on them. Yeah. And he gives them to the Yankees and then he's back at the same spot he was before. I feel like when they wrote that, they wrote the first half or maybe they shot it and they were like, it doesn't have to be the Yankees. It's really open. And then they were like, oh shit, like we don't mm-hmm. have any other teams that'll help us. Okay. okay. It's the Yankees. Yeah. I feel like the better version of this movie has a longer middle act before he rejoins the Yankees. And like yeah. the, the the third act of the movie is Brooks like try, getting to return to Olympus and be with the Yankees again. But, you know, like you can't go home again. Well, that's again, it goes to like my biggest like thing about this movie is that there are no stakes. Yeah, there's no stakes. There is no conflict. It literally is just like everybody gets what they want in this movie. And so while he's in Mexico, he finds Steve Nebraska, Fraser who's brought out on the pedestal as the one white guy in the town who can play baseball. And uh, so, like, here's the thing. And I actually, I wrote this down, but I think I, I, I know the answer. Because, like, I've been to hockey games. Yeah. And I know in hockey games, they'll play both the U.S. National Anthem and the Canadian Anthem. And that's partly because, like, hockey is a Canadian-originated sport. And so in this scene in The Scout, they're playing the U.S. National Anthem. But at the time, it confused me because I was like, wait a minute. Because they... Steve Nebraska is the American in town. Okay. Because I wasn't sure if that was literally because of that or if it was because all oh, oh, like baseball is like an American originated sport. So like. No, it's because Steve Nebraska, I think, is American. And they're like, this is your song. I also feel like we never got to know why he was in. They never explain. They no, never explain they what he's in Mexico. They never explain what happened to his family. His dad was abusive. This and that's movie had a really rough production cycle is all I get out of this. Yeah. But I feel like surely somebody, surely the script supervisor is reading this and is like, we never, we never explain that. And they're like, no, nah, we don't need I, to. I'm willing to bet they shot all that because there's no way you get Diane Weist and you give her third billing 
and she's only in three scenes. Yeah. They definitely shot significantly more therapy sessions and decided to cut those out in post for some reason or another. Well, probably because you can't... Probably because Frazier didn't know what to do, right? Because you can't have a slapstick therapy session. Yeah. That does not work. It was probably just totally not You can do a comedic therapy session like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but that gets really... Dicey. um, Dicey, as it it should be. in the 90s, they do not have enough self yeah, and this Awareness movie should have gone significantly more cynical and just done that. <laughs> like, just had these very fucked up therapy sessions. And that would have been cool. Or it could have done productive therapy sessions, right? Where you're actually, like, yeah. learning and growing and you're doing the, um, like, the Rorschach yeah. test. I thought that was really interesting. But I also feel like there's a long-standing trend in films to have bad therapists for no. the plot. Where she, she is a good therapist. She's posed as a good therapist, but she breaks confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And she yeah, lets him she be does. in the room. Yeah, very There's, quickly. It's I, I've seen a lot of stuff about therapists who watch movies, and we're like, it's really tough to explain to people what therapy does and how it works and how you can are protected, because movies will ignore therapeutic rules and HIPAA violations because it's good for their plot when it is in fact kind of damaging in the long run. Especially since a lot of like, especially modern depictions of therapists now it's usually in a serial killer show. Yeah. Have you guys noticed that? It's like a lot of like the therapy scenes or anything like that. It's usually taking place in the middle of like either a series or a movie centered around a serial killer. Yeah. And it's always about. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but I don't watch a lot of serial killer stuff. When I see therapy sessions. There's the new Steve Carell one with uh, Donald Gleason. I think that's coming out on Hulu. There's you. There's also the Paul Rudd, Will Ferrell one. I think there's, there's a lot of therapy in media, and I'm sure there's a lot of therapy in serial killer media. I don't know if there's most therapy in serial killer media. I think it would make sense if you're seeing serial killer media and noticing that the therapy in there is bad. I don't know if it's it, mostly It's kind of on there, both though. ends. It's kind of on both ends where I feel like that's where... For people who are watching these shows and like they're not watching it obviously for the therapy element, it's that they're they start off watching like a show about a serial killer or mm. whatever it is, and then there's a therapy session, and it's like, oh, okay, it's there's a therapy session, and there's like so many mis like constraints about like what what is happening, because especially like you as a as a prime example, like he literally goes to therapy because he thinks the therapist is sleeping with his girlfriend, yeah, and so he's purely going just to try to see if that's actually happening. And then it turns into this whole bit where he like kills the therapist, yeah. kills his girl. Oh, you know what spoilers the, the for. you know what the best therapy in, in TV is? Sopranos. I was gonna say Modern yeah. Family. Or, very, um, very different takes. I will say, like, I'm not gonna say it's in everything because if you watch the scene in Rick and Morty, right, where he, uh, sorry to refer to Rick and Morty, pickle I really Rick. only know the scene. Oh, the pickle Rick scene. Yeah, that's yeah. a really incredible scene. Yeah. Oh, and I think Bojack Horseman does a good job of also engaging in therapy mm. in a healthy way. I think especially in the, you know, mid-90s, I don't know. That bugs me when I see that. It's also, it's like watching a doctor show, right? And they're just saying random words. It's like yeah. you can actually do the work to make it good very cheap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they, you're choosing not to. Well, therapy, therapists and doctors in movies and TV are kind of an easy out. Yeah. Because, like, it's a very easy to have a therapy scene where the character can open up about their emotions because that's what you go to a therapist for. Right. And so it's like ultimate cheat code in movies of like your character needs to, you know, explain their emotional state. They go to a therapist. Right. 
And like you think this movie's about to do that, and then there's just no therapy scenes. Right. Uh so are we past the I mean there's a lot of well, stuff that happened in between where like because you, guys guys do you want to know what my therapy is? It's looking at Brendan Fraser's hair. I was just about oh. to say. I was just about to say. He His came out with that moment and I'm like, oh, Stuart's going to have a good one with this. All right. His hair was pretty fantastic. I'm not going to lie. His hair. I can't even deny it. Jeff, pull out the fucking list. Cue the music. And don't. Oh, yeah. Let's cue the hair making music. All right, welcome to the hair ranking. Jeff, put that shit in number one. Woo! Put really? that shit in number really? one. I, I don't even need to know. I don't even need to know what's number one. What is number one? I, the list is still loading. Okay. Your internet's slow today, man. Yeah, my internet's not doing well right now. Gotcha. I don't know. I, it's, I don't know what's happening right if now. If I remember correctly, I think it's a. I think it's a long hair. Uh, I'm sure Fraser. Sure. Have you movie. guys done George in the Jungle yet? At this point, not yet. We have not. But nope. is that even real? Did we? Con- uh, I, I mean, we'll sure, get- we count wigs. We do count, we count wigs, wigs, but we count wigs. But you know, the authenticity is part of the scoring process, Jeff. We count wigs. I'm just gonna drink my my little ice shy over here and listen to y'all argue. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, the, the the hair is really good. All right, there we go. I mean, it helps. It was good. It helps in the heartthrob. It's number one it right did, now. Is school ties. Say- which is dropping down to number two. Yes. I was going to say, I was not... The hair was good. And, you know, Brandon Frazier is an attractive man, but it is... Oh, it was kind of tough for me to have them be like, I have a box full of phone numbers. And I was like, you cannot have that just because of your hair. Oh, I don't know that. But I don't know. I'm also... I'm not attracted to people who are so obviously kind of spaced out all the yeah. time. So I, like... I thought that was interesting. Where it was mm. like, this guy... People see him from far away and they just start handing him numbers. Yeah. like... That taxi cab guy had you singing in his taxi cab the whole ride. Yeah, and, and he sang badly. And he was like, I want you to call my sister. It's like, do you hate your sister? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Damn. What is like, going okay, on? Okay, bud. Um, but to really quickly run through, so yeah, Al and uh, Steve, they sign a deal. They're like, yeah, they okay. They have a $55 million contract with the Yankees. With the Yankees. Uh, but th- this, was a, this was a weird one for me. When because we never talked about what brought him to the therapy's office in this movie, and yeah. that is part of the deal in their contract is that he has to get like a signed document from a licensed psychiatrist yeah. to that he is a stable, sound mind to play. Yeah. Which, I mean, that my message to the nineties. Do you know what your gun laws are right like right now? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> but we're gonna make people have a written note that they can play baseball. Yeah, <laughs> it's a private company. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's a very strange deal. And so they go. Well, to the- it's, I wouldn't say it's that strange. He did pick up that reporter. Yes. He obviously is unhinged. And that's quite literally the word for it. He is blocking memories and is not connected to reality. He is unhinged. Not a bad thing, but he is. Mm -hmm. And so they take him to the therapist's office and the therapist's like, I'm not going to write the note. He's not good to play. That also I felt like something that we didn't, the movie didn't really talk about was he is so intent on making him play at all costs. 
I don't think we touched on how bad that is. Like, I yeah, think yeah. Diane Weiss at one point was like, you are not good for him, but then we don't do anything about it. She just lets it happen. She mm. says he's going to see you as a father figure, and you need to know that he's probably harboring some very violent thoughts about his father yeah. figure. And Albert Brooks, in great timing, is like, does he have any problems with his uncle? <laughs> he walks out and, and he's he opens like, the door, hey, Uncle Al's here. <laughs> but I think she does say, she's like, you're not good for him. Yeah. Which is true. He's not. It's enabling. Yes. And then we don't touch on that again. Nope. This movie either need to be more fucked up or more yeah. heartening. Yeah. I'd either need, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So then there's more business with Steve and Al. This is where the movie I'm like, I, like nothing happens for like 40 minutes. Well, I also, I was very much expecting someone to have a romantic relationship with the therapist, which is also, by the way, not cool yeah. and would not, should not be yeah. shown, but I'm just, you know, used to it yes. at this point. I was like, ah, Diane Weist, the romantic interest. There wasn't any romance in this movie. Mm-mm. But they totally set it up for there to be. At, oh, at one oh, point, oh, Fraser almost has sex with somebody. Yeah, but that's someone's wife. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's weird. And we it's didn't crazy. touch on that either. It's like you're going out to eat and to her place with this guy's wife who just got a stick. He's like, I didn't sleep with her. I'm like, there's going to be a rumor that comes out that you did, but there is not. He's <laughs> like, you got to play it safe, man. You're a ball player now. Yeah, you can't get her pregnant. That's a man's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, oh, I do have a question because yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get to the um, or we're done talking about the concert at this point. Can Brendan Fraser sing? Like IRL? IRL? I don't think I don't think we've ever seen him sing. I don't. Gonna... Does he come from a a a, muse, a theater background? I, don't I think could we he does. find that out because I would love to know if they were like, we need you to sing off key, and he was like, I'll just purposely make it off key, or if or that's if just he's... how he sings. I looked up Brendan Fraser singing, and I'm getting nothing in response. I don't because he might be just like unable to hold a tune, which is like God bless, right? Not everybody who acts should also be able to hold a tune. But I, I kind of, I would have cast a Broadway actor, right, to do his role. Like I think Matthew Broderick would have been perfect for this role, because then when he's singing all the time, it would it could be bad and then become good. Like I kind of thought the singing was going to play more of a part of it as well. There were just a lot of elements in this movie Stuart, I didn't feel like got touched yeah. on. I just realized. I said Brendan Fraser can't sing. We've never seen him sing. We just covered Airheads, where he sings death metal. I don't. Is that really him singing, though? I think so, because he just does like the, ah, here we go. Like, he doesn't actually sing in it. I don't think he's like a singer at heart. Do you guys agree with me, though, that yes. Matthew Broderick would have been perfect? When did War Games come out? War Games was not too far before this. Yeah, so he would have been just the right age. He would have been just the right... I mean, he's not heartthrob built. Yeah. He's kind of sh- on the shorter side, right? Matthew Broderick's yeah. like, what, 5'8", five, 5'6"? Five, I, I actually think Matthew Broderick would have been better in this role than He Fraser would have been is. fantastic. Yeah. Like, this is kind of a Matthew Broderick shoe It would have been a perfect, I felt like, subtle acting. And this is not to say that Brendan Fraser is not a good actor yeah. or would not have been good in this role with the right direction. But I think if they were going to have the script the way it was, I would have gotten someone really good and well-trained and musically yeah. trained behind it so you had more options. And Fraser, like... And Matthew Broderick plays unhinged. Like, he, there's oh, there's something off about Matthew Broderick. There can be when he wants there to be, but then there can also be this, like, smooth charisma that we like, know. Because, like, he's killed people. And, like, he lives... Like, anytime you see Matthew Broderick, like... All right, there's something a little off here. It's a little haunted. Matthew Broderick's killed somebody? Yes. King. Um, they must have deserved it. I'm a, I'm a big <laughs> Matthew Broderick stan. I'm sorry. He was, he was, I I can't remember the exact circumstances, but he has killed people in a car crash. Um, On purpose? 
He crossed into the wrong lane and collided head-on with a Volvo. Um, the driver, Anna Gallagher, 28, and her mother, 63, were both killed instantly. He was on a secret vacation with Jennifer Grey. Um, he... Let me see. Is he, like, under any influence of any kind? They never found any... Um, like, he was not He was not under the influence when tested. Um, he was charged with careless driving. Mm. Um, faced up to five years in prison, but obviously didn't serve them. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's just... He, he accidentally killed two people. Yeah, I don't know if having... That sounds like a DUI situation. I don't know if drunk driving and killing somebody makes you have something a little bit off about you. But I do think... Well, I think just, like, there's a little bit of, like... He's a little haunted by that. I'm sure he at is. At this point, did he has he killed somebody by yes. 1995? Yes. This he killed someone 8 years prior. 8 years prior. Like Matt, oh my god, he was young. Yeah, like Matthew Broderick, like in every movie he's done since Ferris Bueller, there's something a little like haunted about him. And I think that's would have been perfect for this character. Yeah. I think Matthew Broderick he would have slayed. Mm-hmm. He would have slayed so hard. Even in The Lion King there's something like haunted about his performance because he's living with the guilt of having killed two people. I think I think you're drawing a lot of red yarn strings that you don't need to be drawing. I do think you're right. He would have been perfect for this role. Yes. So so the, one of the contingent uh deals in their uh $55 million contract was that Steve wasn't going to start playing for them until the next season unless the Yankees got in the World Series. Yes. And of course, as soon as I said that, we're all we're all thinking the same thing. Okay, so they're going to get in the World Series this year. And they all keep saying like, oh, it'll never happen. They'll never get in the World Series. Well, that also confused me because then like the rest of the team is that good. Why do they need a pitcher like him if the pitcher got them to the World Series? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's also, the fucking door. Angela. I mean, again, going back to my, my interest in baseball. Dave Steve's story is you cannot have one good player carry a whole team. Yeah. Dave Steve was a fantastic pitcher who did not see any medals or Hall of Fame. He did not have a yeah. good team. He just didn't. Yeah. Or the um it was the the Baltimore Colts versus the Pittsburgh Steelers Baltimore in 2003. Colts. Yeah. Before the move. Before the move. It was right <laughs> before the move. And it was the last game before the move. For the Indianapolis Colts. There's a really interesting story about that that game. But they had one good player on a not great team versus a really great team. And even though the story should be that the one good player wins, he didn't. He got totally he got totally pummeled. Because it's a team sport. So I think I, I kind of thought that was unfair. That's like this is a World Series winning team that now has this who doesn't even need this pitcher to win the World Series. That now they've got him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like why would they? Why would you pay fifty five million for him? I would have cut him. Yeah. If if we were like oh we got to the World Series and now he's gonna pitch, I would have been like, Man, do we need Imagine him? Imagine being like, that pitcher who got your team to the World Series and they're like, yeah, we're gonna bring this mentally unstable guy yeah, we're gonna <laughs> from rep- Mexico. But hey, he can throw and hit. Am I right? <laughs> he can't. I mean, it is incredible to have somebody who can throw and hit. Yeah. You should not be able to pitch 106 miles an hour and be able to hit a home run. That also was kind of, I don't even think the guy it was based on was like that. Yeah. Even though he, the same guy, right? The, old, the yeah. guy he's based on did break the radar gun. He could pitch at that speed. We don't have the recorded speed because he was that good. And he did have the same kind of alcoholism trauma yeah. problems. He did feel kind of superhuman. And I thought that was a little unfair. <laughs> <He's tongue. laughs> yeah, I was like, you got to give him a weakness. Because right, he can't have all that and be incredibly hot. Yeah. 
like and be like oh my god he's such a teenage heartthrob he's sleeping with other men's wives it's like oh okay he has okay. ill-defined trauma <laughs> that we're not defining i mean and i know we touched on this a little bit but that the tony bennett scene was good great just, yeah i wish i could just, watch it just i was just it, physically uncomfortable well that's what i mean it's like in what it wanted to accomplish that secondhand embarrassment yeah. vibe because i agree a thousand percent it is very like cringy to watch yeah. but it's it's doing it very like well. This movie did not need and a scene Fraser where Fraser well. beefs with Tony Bennett, but I was so fucking here for it. Yeah, that might well. have been the best part because then at the end when he comes up, he's like, are you going to sing my part for me too? And everybody's like, everybody wants to talk to Steve Nebraska. I'm like, that's pretty good. I did like the pitch yes. of like, nobody knows what's happening and so it's all being framed as good. Yeah. Like the helicopter picking him up and descending yeah. him down. I thought that was really interesting about how you can play yeah. those behind the scenes games. There's so many elements of this movie that I like and would have been in a great movie. And then the movie itself just doesn't land. Well, this is another reason. It does not land why, the chopper on the field. This is another reason why he should not have played. Because if we're going by this King Kong, eighth one of the world, turns into a monster and we eventually have to like realize that he can't fit into this universe of machine and man... He should not have played baseball. He should have like walked off the field and the sports commentators announcing it's like, huh, I guess it might have been like the stress and he couldn't have played. Yeah. And then that's when we get the Jack Black line of like Twas Beauty Who Killed yeah. the Beast thing. If that's the vibe we're trying to go for, then he should not have played the last game. Yeah, this movie doesn't have as Albert Brooks But it Brooks still could have been a happy ending. As Albert Brooks said. It did not end like it should not have ended like Rocky with or that it's big like, bullshit I, ending. I, I, or maybe it should have been like uh I guess the coaches didn't want him to play with all the stress. And then the Jack Black line is, it wasn't the coaches. It was his father that slain the beast. I don't know. Because then so he walks out without I like Brooks. Jack Black just that walking in this movie. awful. That line would have been bad. I, 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 but you know what I mean. Yeah, where it's yeah like I do. He, I do, I do. He, he loses baseball, but he gains a father yeah. in that. Sort yeah. Of when he was like, he gets a father and baseball. It's like, would you, would you uh, still be my friend? It's like, yeah, no one's going to want to talk to us after this. That, I think, would have been a fun ending. Yeah. If it's like, oh if he's playing on a... Like a, uh, he's playing for the, I think it's the AA championship, whatever's below yeah. the minor leagues. It's above college, but below the majors or maybe right below. Mm -hmm. And like he's pitching like that. It's like, he could go up to the majors. He's like, no, nah, he's not interested. He just wants to do this. Yeah. Mm. That would have been, I would, I think that would have been a fun ending too. I don't know. I agree. Again, I'm picking this movie apart. I didn't enjoy it. Like really? the base, the. The base of a movie is: Does it get made, and is it fun to watch? I, I was fine yeah, with that. It was fine. Yeah, I uh, I wrote down a lot of uh, other notes, but the last thing I, that I really just want to mention, and I don't know if we have more to talk until we get to our yeah. final thoughts, but uh, when Steve walks away from the yeah, national walks anthem off the field. and he goes into the dugout, did you see? Who yeah, the he assistant passes? coach. The assistant coach, J.K. Simmons, ladies with and gentlemen. One line, one shot in this movie. One line, one JK shot. J.K. Simmons was in this movie. Yeah, yes, like, he walks off the field and he walks past the coach and the and he's like, "I'm just going to the dugout." And the coach turns to him and is like, "Okay." And it's J.K. Simmons, and that's his like he's the last person in the credits of this movie as assistant coach. He, this was like before he popped off. He's just literally like a working one line day player in this. King. Yeah copy that it's, it's so funny it's so funny okay. the only thing funnier than that was the extremely cgi helicopter yes. <laughs> which was like was I mean, wobbling like, it, uh, maybe it's a safety thing maybe it's a budget thing but like i, I the movie didn't really scream its budget to me yeah. at any points and i thought okay this is the one time that maybe they actually land a helicopter in like the yankee stadium <laughs> But instead, it's like very wobbly CGI helicopter. And they didn't need a helicopter. No, 
They could have written anything else. It's like he's gonna he's gonna fly down on a on a paraglider. It's like oh cool, let's get a pair like they could have literally lowered the ladder down, and the top of your frame line is where the ladder yeah. cuts off, so you he don't see the, the helicopter. Cut to a shot of just the helicopter in the air, which could have been done anywhere. Or you you can buy that footage for very cheap. Yeah. Oh, also, oh when he's standing on top of the thing um, in the Yankee Stadium, it's the L.A. skyline yeah, behind him I and not the it's New York the, skyline. Ah, it's so annoying. What, why? <laughs> why would you film that Dodger on location? Stadium. <laughs> oh my this whole movie's about the Yankees. They film at Dodger Stadium? <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they've, got the, they've got Yankee Stadium for most of it. Why wouldn't they just film it at Yankee Stadium? Ah! <laughs> it's one night scene with two actors. Would have been um, fine. But then, yeah, so everything gets all better. Like, Steve and Al talk about it, and he's like, okay, you don't have to pitch if you don't want to. And he's like, really? You won't get mad at me? It's like, no, I won't get mad at you or whatever. It's like, actually, Al, I think I want to do it. I want to go and actually pitch and bat and all that stuff. He's like, okay, cool. I think that would have made more sense if we got the therapy sessions. I think I think maybe. if we had gotten that context, that would have made a little more sense. But certainly as it was, Purely speculative, but maybe. But, like... And then, yeah, he pitches a no-hitter and bats a few home runs, and they win the first game of the World Series. And that's the movie. That was the least believable part, because I don't think the Yankees have won jack shit ever, right? Like, they never last... won a single game. When was the last time the Yankees won a World Series? Can I, can I get that piece of info from you? Probably like three minutes ago. Okay, the Yankees won the World Series. Oh, God. My thing keeps dying. Oh no! Ah, yeah. oh. Sorry to put you on the spot. Looks like should... the Yankees have won the World Series in 2009, 2000, 99, 98, 96, 78, 77, 62, 61, 58, 56, Can you give me the numbers around 1995? 96, 98, 99. Can you give me what's before that though? 78. Movie... Yeah, so they had not won anything. They had a in scout themed comeback. They did have a scout <laughs> the themed comeback. So they won the World Series three times in a row right after this movie was yes. made, but right before this movie was made, it they had a not... 20 year yeah. nothing. Yes. Okay, so that does put the movie in some context, right? Where it's like. The Yankees are down and out. I was like, they're not going to. I feel bad what I said about the Yankees. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to Yankees <laughs> fans. I can't remember if May's a Yankees or Mets fan. And so now I really feel like I got to. It was like the Cubs the having baseball? a Back to the Future theme to come back in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. They really. There was a scout theme come back and no one saw this movie. So no one remembers it. They really did say. Got to win. That's, that's the a movie. Gr- good segue into this movie coming out and making no money. Yeah. In fact, it did not just make no money. It lost a tremendous amount of money. Do we know how much the budget was? Because I know it made two million it, and all. It cost twenty million. Oh, Damn. that it made is two point six million. Damn. That is uh, so really it was a tremendous tough. flop. It only uh, made a, it only made a million in the box offices. What's like a normal amount of money to make in the box offices? Um, it, I mean, it all depends on your budget. What you would depend like it would be like ten million though, right? It's like ten million in the box office for opening weekend, right? Opening weekend. Op- like. It's so difficult because it all depends on the scale of your movie. Like, for example, like uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, made like ninety million in its opening weekend, which is a huge amount of money. Tremendous flop, lost mm-hmm. so much money. Um, meanwhile, you know, a movie makes like Everything Everywhere All at Once made like five million in its opening weekend, and it was a huge hit. So it all depends on like your budget scale. Yeah. 
Um, Can this- you do me a favor and look up um, $20 million movies in 1995 box office weekends? If you go to thenumbers.com. Yes. The best website ever since they torpedoed box office mojo. <sighs> box office the mojo. It used to be a great com. website. Thenumbers.com. You ever been on, here, while you're looking that up, you ever been on thenumbers.com, Stuart? Nope. It's a, um, for anyone listening, it is a for. free website that you can look up the budget and the the money made on a movie and it will break it down by genre you can compare genres in certain years to how much money they make in the box office it's kind of a i used it a lot when i was writing producer papers in film school because i used to write a lot of i was in a development class where i had to write a lot of um i wrote a i wrote a my final paper on if i was going to take jennifer's body and i was going to make two more movies off of it i I was in charge of making it into a trilogy yeah I took that same class. It's a great it was a class. Good, it was a good class. It was the best class I think I took at Columbia. What class? What class is this? It was like a development, development and a strategic planning of movies. Yes. And it's all about kind of what you would be expected to turn into your studio if they had asked you to do something. Hmm. Like if my studio called me and said, we're going to give you $20 million. What are you going to make? I, I had to write that paper. They're like, we want to remake Jennifer's body. What do you think we can do? And I'm like, this is the budget I think we can make it with. This is the amount of money we should make back from it compared to the movies that have come out at this time. These are elements I think we need to have in it to make it popular. This is the um, the former kind of popular range. Like who watched the movie when it originally came out? Who I think who do I think is going to watch it when this movie comes out? How do we include both? I learned in that class, that's why we have so many um, double genre movies, right? Like yeah. action adventure. Yeah. Like romantic comedy. Well, four quadrant hits. Be- yeah, because it covers more genres and therefore more different kinds of people want to watch it. Mm. Where if it's an action romance, right, you get people who like romance and action, not just people who like action or yeah. romance. So, and to answer your question. Thank you so much. Two good examples. I can't find exactly 20 million, but a movie we covered on the show, Get Shorty. Um, that movie came out. It was a thir- It cost $30 million. It made 115. At yeah. the box office. Yeah. So it, it like that was a really big flop. Yes. This the, is the, pos- the possibility of money was in the hundred thousand, hundred yeah. million, and not just the. The, the scout, in fact, million. lost so much money that um, it basically looks like it ends Michael Richards' career. <laughs> no, it does, I mean he. It looks like he got sick and passed away. Um, but he does two more movies after this, but neither of them are really that notable. This movie um is the last big thing that he did, and then it. Doesn't do anything for Fraser. Um, it's he, just like, well, he, I mean, he'll cut his chuck yeah. and leave. He's fine. It goes on. It's an under the radar movie, and he, Fraser really doesn't do anything else of note for a bit after this. Oh, he has a little bit of a gap. He has a big gap until George of the Jungle, I'd say. We're gonna we have still we have like five or six movies to cover, but they're all oh, cameos or like interesting. Indies. In my head, George of the Jungle was before this movie. Before this movie, because when I watched it, I said to myself oh they saw him in george of the jungle and thought he could bring that character over but what must have happened is that they saw this movie and said i wonder if we could kind of shape that to be what we want for george of the jungle well what they saw they saw encino man and said they can put that in this and then encino man translates to george of the jungle oh copy okay so he this movie was this movie the beginning of this kind of quote-unquote typecasting for him Enc- the kind of the, the himbo man kind of starts it is Encino Man before this yeah, movie? Yeah, Encino Man was one of his first movies. Okay, so it's Encino Man, 
that led to this. This leads to George of the, Ju- yeah. George of the Jungle. His career at this point is him trying to be in like more intelligent movies and being typecast somewhat as Timbo performances. He does a great job. Which we, we've talked about in a few episodes. So I don't want to get too much into it. Copy. But that's basically like where he's he's at right now. Uh, so yeah, that I think that's the scout. Do we have anything else we want to say? I'm trying to remember back on Bolt. I think I was really positive about that movie. I feel bad that I kind of tore into this one. No, don't feel bad. We had that's to what the sh- That's what the show... They can't all be winners. We have I to think cover... It's, it's, it's two out of three uh, appearances you've been on this podcast, Ange, have been mostly negative because the other one was Gotti. Great I movie. was pretty positive about Gotti. I Ange said I really like enjoyed Gotti. it. Yeah. You did like Gotti? You brought me on for the roast session thinking oh, I would hate Gotti. And I said I was like, was. I kind of really liked that's, Gotti. That's, like, I enjoyed it. Was, I thought yeah. it was fun. You need to support of all five bros. <laughs> I am wearing a Gotti shirt today. The Boronx. If you think I don't do that in my daily life now, <laughs> to my to my Italian-American partner, the, my New York Queens... <laughs> Stat. Yeah, <laughs> out in the wrong order. And she's like, "Stop, Let me tell you stop! I beg of you." The greatest fucking city in the world. My city. Yeah, yeah, I was I was out with my COVID vaccine yesterday, so I really enjoyed having this movie to watch while oh, I yeah. made a PowerPoint presentation. I this was a perfect movie to play right next to my PowerPoint presentation. Yes. I was very very happy. Have you seen her? Power- we'll, we'll talk after the finish recording. Okay. I well, made uh, a I, I I made a very big PowerPoint presentation for a very small assignment. Yes. Somebody asked me to do a little bit of research, and I said, "Oh, you know what I'm going to do? Go crazy on the hose." <laughs> but then again, that's what I always. Stuart, say. You're going to very much like this. Uh, so, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Please, yeah. it's we'll, always a pleasure. We will have you back. I'm sure. Who's in our five timers club? That. The, there's only one person in our five timers club right Mark now. Tilly. Mark Tilly is the only five timers club right now. I can't blame you for that. That guy is a joy. He's a joy. He's smart. Likes talking about movies. And yeah. such a huggable and face. What, oh, he's, what a Give sweet. that man a little smooch on the what mouth. What a sweetie. Anyway. What what a what a sweetie. Yeah. I just want to say that about Mark Tilly, five timers club member. <laughs> well, I would love to make it into the five timers club if you will have me you, back. You Thank will. You, so much. you will definitely make it into the five timers. Yeah. Club. Lord knows. Yeah. Lord knows. Um, Stuart, you have any final thoughts? No. Or you want me to just... Uh, <laughs> thank you folks for listening to our episode on the sky. I feel like we had a good conversation. We really um, explained this movie and its problems. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, whatever platform you're listening on. As a reminder, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at TravoltingPod. You can pop to our Reddit, r slash Travolting, TravoltingPodcast.com. If you'd like to email us anything, find me on Twitter at Jeff W. Sweeney. Narg. And anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, my Instagram, although it is not baseball themed, is a gardener art. A good bit that right then would have been like my Instagram, though it is not baseball themed, is uh, at MLB official. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my my, my Instagram, though it's not baseball themed, is baseball for life dot 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 for life dot 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 four. <laughs> uh, and as always, special thanks to Rebecca Johnson for our graphic design and Michael Van Bodegum Smith for the theme music that's taking you out. See you next week, folks, for our episode on the Passion of Darkly Noon. Joined by Cole Bradley. Woo!